Hey, Angela here. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to invite you to join our Substack community, where you'll get more founder profiles, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, first access to all my original work, and access to our community group chat. All you have to do is click the link in the description. I love and appreciate your support. It's awesome to see all your comments, email responses, and reactions. I'm happy to share this journey with you. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you guys so much for listening to Honey and Hustle. We are a visual podcast that features conversations with small business owners, creative entrepreneurs, and those in the nonprofit community. We're so glad that we started sharing our podcast here on Anchor FM. And if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, and it will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on all the major platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. If you're listening to this right now, download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. This video is sponsored by Blackology Coffee Company. What's up, everybody? My name is Angela, and today on the Honey and Hustle podcast, I have Ariel Smith. She is the creator and host of the Food Truck Scholar podcast, an incredible podcast about food trucking and all the great things about that. And she's also a PhD candidate in American Studies at Purdue University. Hey, Ariel, how's it going? Hey, Angela, so great for you to have me. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. So I love eating at food trucks, right? But I also recognize that there are a lot of people who still have not had the pleasure of dining at a food truck. I know. You gotta come on. You gotta come on. What you waiting on? In 2020, the year that you can do anything, there are no rules. Curbside. Curbside. Contactless. Come on now. To go orders, like straight out the gate. So, what inspired you to really shine a light on food trucks and what they bring to the dining experience? Oh man, you know, I get this question a lot and at the core of it, I'm a foodie, okay? Uh, I, I talk about this in my intro on my podcast because a lot of people say like, who is the food truck scholar? Why do you call yourself a food truck scholar? But look, I, I, I'm an OG of foodie. I had the Easy Bake Oven. I had the Chuck E. Cheese Pizza Oven. I had the, ice, uh, the Baskin Robbins Ice Cream Maker, the Ice Cream Cake Maker. You name it, I had it. Um, I realized part of it was because I was a foodie. The other part of it was because I was raised by a foodie, my great aunt. And so uh, later on down the line, I realized that she wasn't necessarily buying those kits for me as much as it was herself and I was the, the token for that uh, and that's okay <laughs> you know we had a great time with food but you know she always was a person that loved food and loved street vending um, I can I can be you know I'm thinking about myself as a child how we would always go to the farmer's market on Saturdays and then you know from Birmingham Alabama so uh there's an underpass, like you're going towards the, the east side of town where the main post office is, and there used to be a farmer's market right under the viaducts, right under the, the highway. And then it moved to Finley Boulevard on the west side of town, so my Birminghamians know what I'm talking about. And we would go, we would go there after work. She was a, a early childhood educator. We would go there after work. We would go there on Saturdays. And so I've always loved, um, the farmer's market. I've always loved street vending. Um, and when her favorite 
farmer was no longer at the farmer's market and he started selling um, his watermelons and his fruits, vegetables, all of that stuff at a gas station, we found him and we started patronizing him there. Uh, she's always celebrated street vendors, Easter baskets, like all that type of stuff, you know. We, we did that. Uh, so I'm not a stranger to the whole world of street vending. But I remember very specifically um, a couple of moments. One, you know, I'm a graduate of UAB, go Blazers. And our, come on. And so our student center, RIP to the HUC, best student center there was, uh, they tore that down and in the process of rebuilding, they started bringing in food trucks. So I got a chance to get put on to like saws and a lot of other uh, great food trucks out there. So that was one thing. Uh, second thing that happened was um, my pastor, he was being made fun of because he hadn't had Travis truck. And if you are Birminghamian, you must have Travis Chicago style uh, food truck known for his Polish sausages. And so he was like, all right, y'all ain't gonna make fun of me no more about Travis truck. So he brought Travis to the church. Now, I didn't want to admit that I didn't have Travis either before that point. So, you know, we were kindred spirits in that way. And so I had Travis, my mind, my life was changed. And my mom was like, well, I had Travis as a child. I was like, but you didn't bring it to me. Yeah. So that, so like, I was just fascinated by it. So ever since that moment, I had to have Travis. I was searching for other food trucks, trying to get to know what they were doing. So that's how it came about for me personally as a food truck foodie. I became more of the food truck scholar though. Uh, actually, when I started here in grad school, so I had my first midterm paper due and my professor, Bill Mullen, uh, he was like, so how are those midterm papers coming along? And everybody in the classroom was like, <laughs> I know that was <laughs> we hadn't did it, you know, you know, true procrastinators, you know, hadn't done anything. And he was like, look, you all first year PhD students, you're nervous, you're trying to think about, oh, what's my dissertation topic? He's like, don't worry about that. Ask yourself a question that you that's been on your mind for a good minute and write me an eight to ten page paper on that. What was on my mind at the time is why had all these black owned food trucks popping up in Birmingham after I leave? I didn't get you some of the best years of my life. Now y'all had some filters out there. I tried y'all, but then more of y'all come out after I leave. Your native daughter, and I felt disrespected. So I wanted to know, was it tied to gentrification? Um, was it just, you know, what was the setting for which we saw this uptick in black owned food trucks? And that's kind of how, you know, I went down the rabbit hole of the food truck world. Okay. Okay, you touched on a lot of different things, so I'm gonna try not to like bombard you with 10,000 questions at once. Oh no, we're here. You got me, you got me, I'm good. So first of all, you talked about, you know, just like having this experience where you're used to like, you know, street market, street food um, in an urban environment. But me being from the country, like I'm used to going to the gas station and seeing like the fresh food vendors and like watermelon, like that's my mom gets her favorite watermelon. She doesn't go to Walmart. She doesn't go to a store. She goes to this guy that she knows that sells them out of the back of her truck in season every year, like clockwork. Like that's her experience, you know, peanuts, things like that. Like that's what we've always gotten those types of things. Um, and so when you talk about like that and its correlation to food trucks, I guess the anthropologist in me wonders if that is tied to or like our way of creating like a food to table, farm to table experience for people. So making things more accessible. 
Um, and I don't know if you've explored that as well. Um, in Anthropologist, yes. <laughs> Anthropologist. I see that, uh, that Dr. Ashanti Reese energy flowing. Um, I had to reference her. She has two books out. Uh, one book is called Black Food Geographies and the other one, Black Food Matters. And mm -hmm. so she talks a lot about access and about the roles um, that uh, sometimes called hucksters that street vendors play uh, specifically in Washington, D.C. So that was my nod to her there. But absolutely. So when you talk about a lot of food truck owners, whether it's different food truck owners in Birmingham, like they open, you're starting to see more food truck parks open in Birmingham. And one of the um, discussions around that was that they wanted to provide more access to food in a lot of spaces that are food deserts because Birmingham very much so still remains a food desert with lack of access. We can also talk about that in South LA. Uh, more people talk about it in South Central LA uh, where a lot of black food trucks uh, popped up, notably Trap Kitchen, because they wanted to bring five-star quality food uh, to lower income neighborhoods where a Ruth Chris wouldn't go. And right. so we can definitely talk about access in terms of like the quality of food. Uh, we can also talk about access when it comes down to plant-based, vegan and vegetarian eating and lifestyle. So uh, one of my guests from season uh, season one uh, is Miss Diana Beasley. She runs Miss Beasley Catering in Louisiana. She's credited for having the first uh, whole raw vegetable food truck. You know, I think in... I think in the state, but most definitely in New Orleans and her food truck was given to her by Ellen DeGeneres. So there's definitely uh, ways where the food truck is an impetus, if you will, or a catalyst for providing access to different qualities of meals as well as, you know, plant-based and healthy eating. Yeah, yeah. So again, I do want to touch on like vegan food trucks because as we know, Slutty Vegan is just like shooting up. But um, going back to your first statement of um, your query into why so many Black-owned food trucks are popping up. So another thing, so I had the pleasure of having Eugene's before he had the storefront in Uptown. So like, right. I think I was there, like, I think I'm like, you're under you at UAB. So I got to, you know, the cantina, the Eugene's, the sauce. Like I got a lot of that as well, which was really great experience for me. Um, but just in reading a little bit about the food truck scene in Charlotte, because I'm like, want to go desperately to Charlotte, North Carolina for a weekend and just like eat my way through it and have a good time. <laughs> um, one of the things that I noticed when I was just like reading an article on a black owned food truck there that was super, super popular was their issue with overhead. So I think too, from a financial standpoint, starting first with a food truck rather than trying to bite the head off and get a storefront, which commercial property is expensive, no matter who you are. And then you want to talk about putting a kitchen in there, which has a lot of liability. Like for a food truck like owner, that's probably a lot more of a sensible option for you than going off and getting a storefront. And again, to access, not only are they not limiting themselves to people who can drive to them, they can go wherever they want and find people who want to like experience their food and stuff like that. So I guess like my question to you is, so like how do you think that's going to shift the dynamic that everybody has in relation to how they experience American food, right? Because like now you're not limited to what's in your area necessarily. You're just limited to who's coming to your area. Um, 
Yeah, that's a good question. And I would say that it's already begun to shift that. Um, and I think a lot of that, um, let me not say that COVID-19 solely did it. I, it was definitely in motion beforehand because the food truck was becoming part of the American vernacular, right? You got um, television, like Food Network that has, you know, now competitions around food trucks. You got movies that are centered around food trucks, like Chef. You got um, television, like the last OG Barbershop 3, was had a food trucks uh, uh, scene and you know talking about that back in 2016. So it was definitely you know becoming more and more of American culture. But I definitely think thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic, it has definitely accelerated. So at this point in time, you're seeing brick and mortars leave the brick and mortar and now go into a food truck. Case in point, let's go to Chicago, right? Harold's Chicken is a staple. It's iconic. You know, it's one of the tourist places that if you go to Chicago, you gotta try Harris Chicken, you gotta go to Garrett's Popcorn. Well, one of their locations, I believe it's the one on 82nd Street, um, they're in this strip mall. Uh, the owner of that strip mall wanted to raise the rent. I think it was something astronomical, like $10,000 a month plus a percent of annual sales. And the owners was like, no, nah, we're not doing that. We got a food truck. I've, I've seen the food truck. I've been to the food truck about two years ago. Um, they took their food truck, shut down the 82nd Street location and parked the food truck in the parking lot. So it's the same address, but they're operating out of their food truck because they're not going to pay that overhead cost that she was talking about. Uh, we also saw people leave early on in COVID, like in Oklahoma City, people who were food truck owners transitioned into a brick and mortar. We saw them pull that food truck back out because why it was, as you just said, it's mobile. They can go to the, the audience. And this was very critical when we was at the height of quarantining and people could not, you know, go outside. They was able to go straight to the neighborhoods the way the popsicle man, the ice cream man used to do. You know, they was keeping that type of energy uh, going on. It's also about being able to do something that is uh, contactless for the most part or, you know, curbside. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say gone are the days of in-person dining. Absolutely not. But we're going to have to rethink um, Friday night dining. We're going to have to rethink what fine dining means in many cases because you have a lot of food truck owners that have very upscale plating techniques you know on a food truck so it's going to revolutionize what we think of as good food it's revolutionizing what we think as gourmet food uh and it's it's already half begun to revolutionize the american dining experience and i think it's only going to grow from there you know just to give you a snapshot about the the, the money part of the industry before covid uh at the close of 2017 it was estimated to be a 2.7 billion dollar industry that was just three years ago. Uh, then March of 2018, uh, the Department of Commerce uh, for, the, for the federal government, excuse me, they released for the first time a report about food trucks because until then it really wasn't on their radar like that. So from that moment of time up until now where we're seeing that food trucks were the ones that, you know, they didn't get out scot-free from this pandemic, but they were able to pivot in ways that I think brick and mortars were not able to for the most part. We have to revisit this model about what is a stable 
uh, food and beverage model uh, in the time of COVID and post COVID. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think like, like you said, and this is the way I feel in general about this pandemic, I don't think that the things in this pandemic that are happening in terms of the economy, in terms of the way people are doing business is anything unique. I think it's just a pressure cooker situation when everything hits the fan, like it's gonna speed up things that were naturally gonna happen anyway, if there were no like plans in place. And so like with this, with the food truck revolution and augmentation of people dining at food trucks because they are safe, um, more safe than sitting inside you and to go get them contact this, um, they're somewhat more accessible and that they can come to you. Um, like we're seeing that that was something that was probably going to happen anyway, but it just made it happen a lot faster because they had no choice. Um, and so, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say something because like, it's funny how we uh, you had the conversation about like, you know, in some ways it's safer because, you know, what what people have really critiqued the food truck with and have been very skeptical with is the whole notion of safety. Is it clean? Is it sanitary? You know, uh, food trucks in many cases, you know, there's still, as you said, many people have not eaten from a food truck. Uh, it still has that connotation in some spaces as being roach coaches, right? And, you know, we can keep it 100 and know that there are some food trucks that do not have clean practices. Just like you have brick and mortars that don't have clean practices. Ask the dishwasher at a brick, at a brick and mortar restaurant. Ask somebody that used to work at, at a restaurant, fast food, even a five scale, and they can tell you, like, you know, there are some things that happen behind the scenes that'll make you be like, I don't know if I'm gonna go here again. But you know, the food truck often gets that knock because people just see it rolling down the street, they see it posted. And you know, there's a lot of different conversations and nuances to that argument that we have to make that we can't really do all here. But ultimately, one of the things that is pushing us to do is rethink, you know, food trucks and their viability as a clean, sanitary option for food. Yeah. I agree with that a thousand percent. Like I completely forgot about the like Roach Coaches comment. I mean, but I like, I feel like that was just so before our time. I think like by the time that I had started experiencing food trucks, that was the last thing on my mind because they also have um, safety ratings and health scores that they have to put on display for customers, just like a brick and mortar. So I mean, like this, um, I don't know, somewhat maybe subliminal or subconscious assertion that you don't feel safe eating there to me, which is kind of like, I mean, let's, let's talk to your favorite McDonald's when you drive through and see what their health score rating is. You know what I mean? Like, so you can play that game if that's what we want to do, but, you know. Yeah, but, you know, it, for some people, it's, it's not so much subliminal, you know. Uh, sometimes they may have grown up with the food truck and, you know, just like a brick and mortar, just like it may in, in other business uh, sectors as well, you know, you might have some that aren't really doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so that kind of taints the image a person may have about the whole industry when in actuality, food trucks do have to go through the health department. They do have to have inspections. When you have a food truck festival, the health department does have to come out and inspect that. You do have to get permits for that. You can get a surprise inspection uh, on a food truck, just like a brick and mortar. Some people wonder, is that even possible because of locations? But you have to think about the fact that even though they're not in a fixed location, more often than not, they do have to communicate where they are um, in social, you know, on social media. So 
all you gotta do is follow that truck and be like, okay, boom, you're gonna be here from 11 to three. Okay, now it's time for a surprise inspection. So those are things that can happen and they do happen. I was, um, I was in Indianapolis at a food truck festival and the health department was in full force. They, <laughs> it was at least eight of them out there with their clipboards and they're going through and they're checking things. So like, no, this, this is a space, especially uh, in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. People are not playing for the most part. So yeah, it, it is something that I feel now is not as... Um, uh, salient as it was back then but it still is a topic for conversation but I do think that this is going to be an opportunity for us to challenge that stigma or at least uh, try to work past it yeah yeah so and you touched on this previously and we've kind of been hinting at this throughout this entire conversation but that is the role that media plays in our perception of things that we experience in life so I think like um, and this is a non-political statement, but a lot of people have said, well, I think it's the media that's dividing us. I don't think things are really as bad as what people are saying. I don't think this is really as issue as what news outlets are saying, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, they love, people love to blanketly state that it's the media's fault. I don't trust the media, but what they don't realize is not only are traditional news sources, um, news reporting shows, that is media, yes, but so are TV shows, so are films. So a podcast, so is YouTube. All of that is media, right? And so when you see the normalization of food trucks in shows like Chef on the Food Network, or you see them in films, in TV shows, um, that is subliminally saying that, yes, this is a part of our culture that should be normalized, that should be something that, um, or not should be, but is something that people experience on a regular basis. Um, and so it, you know, maybe changes and challenges our perspective of maybe uh, our willingness to try new things. Um, and so to that point, Slutty Vegan and a lot of vegan food trucks have been praised in the media and have done very well in the media and have grown exponentially because of their reception in mainstream things like HuffPost, Essence Magazine, um, places like that. So to you and your humblest and expertise of opinion, right? Um, what do you see in the future for media in terms of how food truck can really benefit from this new reality like that is that people are open to featuring food trucks right and so like for people who may be either a client or customer or food truck owner who's looking to grow like what do you see as a future of their you know perception and um how do i say this symbolism in media I think, uh, and I, I think this starts with um, what I'm about to say, I want to preface with, this could happen in a lot of different uh, industries. So it's not just food trucker specific, but this is in spite of a, in the midst of a conversation that I've been having with other folks very recently, is that a lot of times people may enter the food truck industry uh, as a passion project, right? Uh, so they love to cook. Uh, they may not always necessarily have the business background to prepare themselves for it. So in this age where media is big, you know, you have to position yourself to be able to maximize off of that, that, that meaning um, having really good shots of your food truck, um, 
if, if you're comfortable, you know, being the face of your food truck or representing having nice headshots that are ready to go. Um, using your social media, you know, regularly posting like where you are and like what's going on. Um, it People need to be able to find you. If it is hard for people to find you, then you're not gonna really get a whole lot of folks unless your whole, uh, I guess, allure or part of your whole brand is that only the folks that are in the know are the folks that are in the know. But, you know, in those situations, I also think it is the job, uh, in my case, because, you know, we're both media folks and my dissertation actually specifically focuses on uh, black representation in media in the food truck industry. I also think it is the role of the media to um, do the due diligence to share different profiles of people who are in the food truck industry. So like we have movies like Chef, we have, um, television series like The Last OG, we got movies like Barbershop 3, but when we take a deeper, nuanced look at that, it also paints a picture of some of the stereotypes that exist across race when we're talking about entrepreneurship and we're seeing that carry over uh, into the food truck industry. Now, there may be ways that they're trying to push back and play on those stereotypes, but nonetheless, those stereotypes exist, right? So we're talking about like Barbershop 3, The Last OG, there's always this whole type of like mass incarceration thing that's happening there. And so it's like, yes, it's great that we have uh, the presence of a Black-owned food truck on television, absolutely, but why is it always that context? And we can talk about, you know, how many people who are released from prison or, you know, they go towards the food truck. It's an entrepreneurial activity. But when we only have that context tied to black people, and that's the only time we see black people represented in popular culture, uh, media through that lens, we now have to challenge that. So my role as the media with the podcast is to say, hey, yes, that's one avenue. That's, that's one profile of a food trucker, but, but so is a former bank executive. So is, uh, you know, a veteran. So is a single mom. So is a retired couple, you know, because we have to diversify what that image looks like. So absolutely, I definitely think that there are things that food truck owners can do to prepare themselves in terms of, you know, investing in their own personal branding I think what people um, are so enamored with Pinky Cole, the owner of Slutty Vegan for, is the fact that she comes out and says, we are a marketing agency that just so happens to sell food. So that like, that was, I think I'm paraphrasing it, but that was almost verbatim her quote is that, you know, we are a marketing agency that just so happens to sell food. Now in that, they have to communicate passion, in that they have to have a good product. But at the end of the day, that's how they position themselves. And sometimes people focus on the food and not necessarily the business aspect and they suffer. So they're not in the best position to maximize the exposure that comes from social media, that comes from popular media. Um, they may not necessarily be keeping up with how it's being represented in pop culture media. You know, me as an academic, you know, I spend that time on that. Um, and of course I share 
what I'm learning on, you know, on platforms like yours and this, that, and the third, but they may not always be aware of that. But what they can be aware of is how to position their own story. And I think that's critical because if they're very open and very clear, very concise and very strong and forthcoming with their own storytelling on their own platform, I think that does a whole lot to uh, challenge or contribute to the narratives of food trucks and media as well. I guess my last question is, so you said on your podcast, you've been talking about how to prepare people who are in the food truck industry or looking to be in the food truck industry for the business side of things, right? So I consider food truck owners to be chefs in their own right. So creative entrepreneurs, like you said, we get into things because we're passionate about them and we want to share that with other people. Not necessarily because I'm passionate about bookkeeping. I could care less about bookkeeping, quite frankly. um, But I have to learn it because I want to, you know, be able to like, you know, not have any problem about taxes and be able to like work with an accountant, like cooperate with them and give them what they need so that, you know, we can get that sorted out. But that's an aspect of it. Um, And so like, what are some of the things or what are some of the main questions that you get from uh, food truck owners uh, in relation to the business aspect of things? So honestly, it comes less from the questions I, I, I get, and I do get some, but it actually comes more from what I observe. So I do get some questions about, you know, operations management. Um, usually the most common question I'm gonna be asked is should I buy a brand new truck or a used truck or should I lease a truck? Those, those usually be the typical questions folks are gonna ask me. Um, but what I observe and what I hear from my guests, because I always will ask my guests, you know, what's the L you took? What's something that you learned? And they'll say, you know, because of COVID, I learned that I need to, you know, insure my deposits at these festivals. So, you know, uh, South by Southwest, they straight up canceled. Well, when they canceled, you know, if you put the deposit down, which is sometimes in the thousands of dollars, you don't get that back because you didn't insure it. So lessons about insurance, lessons about insuring your truck. You know, I've seen people whose trucks been damaged. They've uh, burned for whatever reason and they don't have insurance. Um, so a lot of it has come out of um, really the observations that I've been able to see, you know, as my role in media and the fact that people tagging me and things, realizing that, oh, that this is a need or that something as simple as maybe you don't have a headshot. So if we do want to, you know, feature you and we want it to go, you know, in certain places where you can get a lot of visibility, well, they have certain types of criteria that they want for photos. And if we don't already have that for you and it's difficult to maybe do it right then and then, you know, we might miss out on opportunity. So what I'm trying to do now is partner with like-minded individuals who see that this is a need for the industry and are willing to, you know, provide those resources as well as, you know, provide the information of why it's necessary so that we can have webinars, we can do uh, episodes together. So I'm bringing on people on my show uh, who build food trucks, who talk about like, hey, this is the things that you should look for that are good people, that are reputable, so that you don't, you know, spend $60,000 on a truck that doesn't materialize. Having a PR person that says, hey, like, these things you should always have ready to go. Um, 
how to craft your menu, um, the fact that you need insurance. Uh, I'm very grateful for the fact that many of my food truck owners, they come from different spot, like spaces in corporate. So there's like, okay, I have this marketing thing because that was my background or I was a business person. So I'm able to draw that expertise out of them and say, okay, now how did your background prepare you for the food truck industry and what were you blindsided by? So hopefully, as people are listening to these stories on my show, they're getting those nuggets along the way. But I'm also in the process of putting together some webinars and some some other big events. So stay tuned for that. I'm, I'm very excited for what um, this year is, is going to bring. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen a couple of your guests. Um, and some of them I know personally, like Stephen McIntyre. Um, I knew him back when he was at Troy, and like I think like literally the next semester he was like, "Yeah, I'm over this. I'm going to culinary school." And um, so then he started uh, going to school in Montgomery, and now he's in the food scene in Birmingham at Eat at Panoptic, which is another black mm-hmm. woman-owned business um, that is thriving um, in yes. Birmingham. So it's cool to see like that uh, evolution of people who get into the food truck industry because I think on my show, especially, I generally talk to the person who owns it. But we don't also like can't forget the people who support it and make it grow and make it run. Um, because just like with uh, Pinky Cole and Sweaty Vegan, like she's the face of it. But the chef that she's had that's helped her craft the menu has been with her since like day one. You know what I mean? And so without her, they're almost like that is also a very big part of Sweaty Vegan's menu and appeal is they know they expect a great culinary experience. But this chef is crafted with Pinky. Um, so yeah, so I just think that's cool to see um, as well. But um. yeah, this is a great. I just want to say this is a great time for a lot of food trucks. Um, uh, and, and not just because I'm from Birmingham, but because it's true, Birmingham has some of the best food trucks uh, in this country. And this is a great, great time for Birmingham food trucks and even more specifically, uh, black Birmingham food trucks. We're seeing uh, Underground Vegan, which is Birmingham's own plant-based vegan food truck, uh, came on the scene, you know, maybe a few months ago, and they're already announcing a brick and mortar for 2021. We're seeing uh, All Shucks is amazing at what they're doing. Eat at Panoptic has been making waves since they debuted. Simone's Kitchen ATL is doing great. Um, Hollywood Grill has two trucks. Granny's Fish and Grits was on Food Network. They have another trailer. I think they're making plans to expand even further. So, you know, this is a very, very great time for a lot of food truck owners. And, you know, um, there is a lot of growth that's happening. I, I think we, we know Slutty Vegan because she was the number one food truck of, of 2019. I mean, the things that she does is, is absolute goals and the way that she has structured her marketing purpose, uh, uh, proposition and whatnot but at the same time even if you don't have her notoriety there are still you know practical steps that you can do that can put yourself in a very great position and there are so many Birmingham food trucks and food trucks in Indianapolis and in West Lafayette and California Durham like Barrique Soul that are just doing amazing amazing work and how they have structured their business and so you know there are people at every level and every phase that have really you know done amazing work and have you know put the work in and now we're seeing it yeah yeah I agree um and again, this goes back to, I mean, like like I said, my food, first food 
first two food truck experiences were Eugene's and Cantina's, so minority-owned food trucks that have thriving brick and mortars. But like majority of people don't know them for their brick and mortars; they know them for the food truck. Sure. Um, so yeah, and I think too, like again, this goes back to how people define success. Like yes, I keep pointing to Pinky Cole because she's just like the first person that pops in my mind. Yep. she is. But she, like, she has she has nailed that. <laughs> Yes, she understands the value of media, but like, yeah. like Barique was sold. That's what I had for my birthday dinner. So I'm, like, you know what I'm saying? So it's just like, you don't have to be this like, you know, whatever, big name, whatever, to be successful and have your own measure of success. And so like, you just I'm have to have- jealous. I'm jealous that you had Barique was sold for your birthday. Like, yep. I'm glad you said this like near the end, cause I probably wouldn't talk to you for the rest of it. Cause I'm jealous, you know, I love their empanadas. I love their empanadas, soul fresh spring rolls. Justice McGee, you gotta try uh, his his uh, mac and cheese. You gotta try it if you have it. Um, I'm very so jealous of you right now. I love you and I'm jealous of you at the same time. It was so good. It was perfect. And then Big Falk was. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's like literally not even a mile from my apartment. What's his name? Big C Waffles. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have, I have, I have. Um, Granny's with you, Fritz. They told me about him. You gotta check him out. He's really good. There's some banging good chicken and waffles. Amazing food. See, um, I just need <laughs> outside to open up and then I can, you know, roam the streets as I want. <laughs> safely and contactlessly, first of all. <laughs> so. Well, you know, well, you know, one of the things is that our travel you know, through Purdue has been frozen quite a bit. So when it comes down to like travel funds and whatnot, uh, that has been, you know, very different. So, you know, the good thing is that I was able to collect my data before COVID happened. Um, normally, when you go through the process, you, you know, you do your coursework, then you take your exams and then you start collecting data. I kind of did mine uh, concurrently with coursework. So had I not done that, I really wouldn't be able to present, you know, the work that I have now and be on your show and talk about what I found. But, you know, so hopefully, you know, we can get back in my Kia soon, roll down the streets, grab me some empanadas from Teriana and Frederick over there. Uh, <laughs> I, would, I would love to be able to do that sometime soon. Yeah, yeah. You let me know when you're coming this way and we can eat through town together. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, Charlotte, wherever. You know, I can get in the infinity. I can meet the kids. We can do that. You know what I'm saying? When it's safe, okay? <laughs> Love it. We got to do that. That, that. that That's the thing. We also got to, you know, uh, travel a little bit out of North Carolina. I got to get to Charleston. Uh, I got to get there, too. Uh, there, There's a whole collective of food trucks out there that I, I've got to check out. Um, there's one called Braised in the South. There's mm. all about... Mm, Mm-hmm. So we gotta see. <laughs> we gotta see about them. There, there's one that's all about gelato, and you know, I, I like some gelato. So, uh, you know, we're gonna have to. If, if you're rolling with me, you don't know where you're gonna end up at, but just know that you're gonna end up at a food truck. You just don't know where. It's okay. Charleston is fine. I went to Charleston one time, but it was like rainy. So that wasn't really like beach time on my end. So I'm good to go back when the weather is nice and we can eat good and have a good time. I'm here for it, so. That sounds like a plan. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I, I think we're doing 
the food truck scholar road trip honey and hustle we all up in here and hey we might need to record an episode while we eat you know that might be the thing it's only right you know we got to give the review and the interview you know what i'm saying as we we proceed (laughs) give them what we need Well, thank you so, so much for being here today. Thank you for sharing so much about what you do, about food trucks, about the future of the industry, just all the good things. I'm sure people watching this have plenty of homework to do in terms of eating and researching food trucks in their area. So, hey, comment down below if you find a food truck that she talks about and you love it. We want to know about it. We want to check them out. And we will see you guys in the next episode. I'll link her social media so you can keep up with her podcast. And uh Yes, yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for inviting me on your platform. And I just want to say thank you for all of the work that you're doing uh, to celebrate chefs and other entrepreneurs across this country. You know, your work is very much needed and uh, definitely inspiring. So thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. Thank you.